Well, it's good to be here and uh, have a chance to uh, see Antioch again. And uh, it's really, really an awesome place. You guys are the, like, you're getting an extra crown for this, for showing up on this Sunday. Because when I heard I was speaking, I won't go into that story, I was thinking as I was driving here this morning, who's going to be here besides the staff? And when I got here, that was all that was here. And I thought, okay, this is who's going to be here. And so you guys are great. I'm glad you came. And got my friends from Team Challenge down here. I know these guys because I, yeah, there they are right there. And uh, I do challenge, I do team, I do challenge. I do chapel that over there a couple times. And so I know some of those guys. And I told them I try not to do the same thing I did this last week. So uh, that they'd get something new. But uh, anyway, it is good to be here. And uh, thank you for employing my son. And uh, so he has a job. Appreciate that. And uh, his wife and our little grandson, Asher, we, we always are thankful for that. And so thank you for doing that over the last, boy, how long has it been? 10 years. Yeah, he's been here since the, the very beginning. So how many of you uh, were told by your parents to act your age? You ever been told that? How many of you are told by your parents to act your age? And how many of you have told your kids that? Have said to your kid, hey, why don't you act your age? Well, I looked up, what does that really mean? What does it mean to act your age? And the definition was this. It was a phrase that basically said this, behave more maturely. In other words, the idea would be you say to one kid, hey, you're acting like you're younger than you really are. So what I want you to do is to act your age. And let's be honest. How many of you have ever met an adult who just wouldn't grow up? Ever met that? An adult who wouldn't act your age. Hey, I found this picture and this old timer here. This guy is my hero right here. Look at this guy. He has got his walker and his fly rod. There's no greater. That is retirement right there. That is. That guy is just a stud. I love that. One time I was up at Big Lava and I was getting ready to go fishing. And I had my flow tube out. I have a pretty nice flow tube. So I had my flow tube out and, and I'm getting it all ready to go. And this old timer was there and he was putting together this little pontoon boat and some friends were helping him. And so I get, you know, I'm kind of a yacker. So I said, hey, you know, what are you, what are you doing? He goes, hey, man, I'm going out today. It's my birthday and my buddy's here. They decided they'd take me fishing. I go, really? How old are you? He goes, I'm 92. And I thought, I love you. You are the greatest. So I watched him during the day, and he'd be like 30 feet off the bank of the shore, just going about like one mile an hour with his little fly rod out there, but he was just having the, the time of his life. 92 in a float tube, in a pontoon boat. I love that guy. You know what the number one excuse is for not acting your age? I found it. Here's what it is. I don't know how to act my age because I've never been that age before. That makes sense. I mean, I, even I figured that one out. But today, I want you to give you a simple plan on how to act your age. I know it's a new year. As we head into the new year, some people make New Year's resolutions. They basically say, I'd like to, you know, going to try to do this or do that or do whatever. And this, some of these might be just a good thing to say, Lord, help me this year to act my age. And so let me tell you this. You realize over 58 times in the New Testament, the Bible uses the, the words one another. One another. 40 by the Apostle Paul. And the number one time it's used, 16 times in the New Testament, is to what? You want to know? Love one another. Jesus put it simply when he said this, by this one thing, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you what? Love one another. Such a simple idea, isn't it? 
Such a simple idea, but yet so hard to pull off. But it's a difference maker. It's a difference maker when it comes to relationships with other people. It's a difference maker when it comes to the effectiveness of your church and the fellowship of believers that you have. And so this morning, I want to look at three of the one another's in the New Testament that are going to teach us how to act our age. And I have them for you right here. We're going to talk about accept one another, greet one another, and encourage one another. You get the acrostic there? A-G-E? How many of you get that? Okay, not everybody rose, raised their hand. Because I mean, if you, everybody would put their hand up, I would have said, hey, we're done. Let's close in prayer, get home, watch football. But since the Hawks played yesterday... If the Hawks played today at 10 o'clock and Kip would have called me and said, hey, Dad, can you help out? I would have said, <coughs> I'm not feeling good. <laughs> Don't think I can be there at 10. But since the Hawks won, I thought I had no excuse but to be here. But I want us to go through that today. Anytime you have an interaction with somebody else, anytime that you uh, are at work or at, you're at church or you're coaching kids or, or you're even playing yourself, I think the New Testament would say, and God would want us to act our age. Well, let's see what that looks like. First of all, we need to look how to act your age. Let's accept one another. If you have your Bibles this morning, and I should say if you have your phones or your, <laughs> it's a different day, and uh, anything, I want you to look this up. I want you to look up Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. In the book of Romans, interesting book. I'm doing a study through it with, with some guys. And one thing I never really noticed was this, that Paul, when he wrote to the church in Rome, he had never been there. He'd never been to this church. You know, a lot of the churches that Paul wrote to, a lot of his letters, he wrote to churches where he had been there before, churches that maybe he had founded or churches that he had visited. But he had never been to Rome when he wrote this letter. But yet he knows a lot about what's going on and what's taking place there, and he writes them this tremendous letter, a great letter, a letter on theology and also a great letter on practical living. And so when he writes to them in chapter 14, he's writing to a church. You've got to look at it this way. Here's a church that's made up of, first of all, a large Jewish population. Now, if the Jews were in Rome, normally they would have been slaves. So they had a huge Jewish population, and then they had a Gentile population made up of Romans who had become believers. So in this church, you have a Jewish population and you have a Roman population. They have different backgrounds, different ideas, different religious experiences. And they're all together in this newly formed church, which we just call the church in Rome. And so they had issues. How many of you have issues? Yeah, welcome. Welcome to Antioch. Church of issues. Every church has issues. And every person in the church has issues. And this church had its issues. I want you to notice in chapter 14, verse 1, he says this. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. So what were those matters? Well, first of all, look in verse 2. They had issues with food and drink. He says one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Now, what this is not saying is this, is that vegetarians are weak, okay? It's not, it's not saying that. I don't care if you believe that or not. It's not, it's not saying that. So we're not going to even go down that road. But imagine this. They had problems with food. You have a Jewish population. What didn't they eat? 
They didn't eat pork. And then you had a Gentile population, and they did. And they had issues with what to eat and what not to eat. Can you imagine a church potluck in the church at Rome? And somebody brings my favorite pizza. Matter of fact, Kathy and I had one last night. The what? Chicken bacon artichoke from Papa Murphy's. How many like that? Have you ever had that? That is good. The only thing wrong with that is the artichokes. <laughs> hate to say that. So what I tell them to do, I say, hey, only put artichokes on half. And normally what they'll do is they'll take that half and put it on Kathy's half. So Kathy's pizza looks nothing but like a giant artichoke. And now I tell them, hey, don't put that on her half. Just, or if we don't separate it, then I have to pick it out. And unfortunately, an artichoke looks a lot like a piece of chicken sometimes. And when I eat artichoke, I can tell just like that it's not chicken. And it messes it up for me. But imagine you're at a potluck in the church in Rome, and here comes all this food, and it's all different kinds of food. They had issues with that. Secondly, they also had issues with what day to go to church. That makes sense, doesn't it? Look at verse 5. Paul says, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. In other words, they had issues with, do we go to church on Saturday, which would be the Jewish custom, or do we go to church on Sunday, which is what? The day of the resurrection, which would be the Gentile custom of believers. So they had issues on what day to go to church, what day to worship. I don't have issues like that, but I kind of would have issues like, I would translate it this way. Do I want to watch college football, or do I want to watch the NFL? That makes sense to you guys? You understand what I'm saying? Saturday versus Sunday. That would be what they had a problem with that. So how did they, Paul, say they should deal with it? Look in chapter 15, verse 1. Look what he says. He says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not just please ourselves. You know what I noticed here? The responsibility to put it all together, to make it work out, is always on the mature. You notice that? It's always on the strong. It's always on the mature believer's responsibility to somehow put together a group of Gentiles and a group of Jews who come to faith in Jesus, and now they're worshiping together, and they got issues on food, and they got issues on when to worship, and the mature are the ones that say, it doesn't matter to me, I will do it either way, as long as what? We're together. Now, my experience, as Evan has said, Kath and I have been in ministry for 40 years, and I've been in a lot of different kinds of churches, is that sometimes the hypothetical mature people are the ones who cause the greatest problems. They're the greatest critics, they're the greatest judges, and they're the ones who are not flexible at all. And Paul would encourage us, who have been, who have been a believer for a period of time, who have grown to a place of maturity in our faith, we're the ones to set an example of how uh, we should what? Give up certain things in order what? For the greater good of the whole congregation. We're not talking here about things that are biblical. We're talking about just things that we like, preferences. I was involved in a church where the music was really contemporary and things were done a little crazy and, and we would do some really crazy things and, and we had a, some older people in that church and what I appreciated about them was this, that they were people who were what, flexible. They were there because people were coming to faith and they were excited about that more than I like the music here. When Ben, when we sang Holy, 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 how many of you thought that was awesome? Yeah, us older people, we liked that. I actually know this song. <laughs> then they throw in that other verse, and I'm going, okay, I don't know that, but I can, I can wait and then sing the one I know. But that's okay. 
And that's what Paul's saying here. I love what he says to the church in Colossae. Colossians 2.16, he says this. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, to a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. In other words, he's basically saying this to the believers. Don't let people force their legalism upon you. Don't allow that to take place. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You grew up maybe in a church that was highly legalistic. You know what I'm saying. The Pharisees ruled the joint. And you lived a certain way and you acted a certain way and you were afraid to say certain things and you were afraid to say, yeah, I went and saw that movie last night. It was great because you were afraid of what? What the Pharisees in your church might say to you. And all I'm saying, that's no way to have church. No way. It's also this. It's really hard to reach people when that's the attitude of the people who are the mature ones. And so he makes that point here. He points that out. And I want you to underline. If you underline a verse, it's hard to underline. I tried doing that on my phone. It doesn't work very well. At least for me, it doesn't. But I want you to underline in your mind verse 7 of chapter 15. Look what he says. He says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. The point is we need to accept each other. Here the issues were food and the day to worship. In the book of James, James talks about the issues in the church of what? Of favor, showing favoritism to the rich. Remember that? He says, what you guys do sometimes is you take the rich and you put them in the goods places in the church to sit. And you do this and you do this and you do this. And the poor people you kind of put in the back. And James is basically saying, dude, that's not right. That's not how it should be. In, the, in Acts chapter 6, they had uh, racial issues within the church where they had the Grecian Jew, Jews who were widows and the uh, Hebrew Jews who were widows and they had a widow's a meal and the Grecian Jews, uh, widows were not being fed and they had to deal with that. And that's where the first deacons came into, into play because they had, had issues there. And our issues could be all kinds of different things. In the churches I've been involved in, sometimes it's how people dress. Isn't that true? I mean, the younger generation and the older generation, we don't, we don't dress alike. I mean, I don't understand the idea of paying money for jeans that have holes in them. Yeah, my, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me, but th- that's, that's the end thing. I remember I had a men's Bible study. I had a guy in there, and I love this guy dearly. He's an older guy and a mature believer, and he was, one day he just said, man, in our Bible study, I'm so frustrated. I go, what? He goes, did you, we at church Sunday? I go, yeah, I was on staff, so I had to be there. That wasn't an option. And he said this to me. He said, did you see the guy playing? You mean the worship team? I go, yeah, did you see him? He had his pants were all ripped up. He had this T-shirt on. I don't understand what it was saying. He had his hat on backwards in the service. He goes, I just can't deal with that. And I go, really? So we talked about it, and I showed him, hey, James is saying, hey, you know, don't be a judge, and that's really nothing, not that big a deal. There's really nothing biblical about that. You know, his heart's in the right place, and he's young, and he's here, and he's serving the Lord and all this kind of stuff. And then finally, he comes back the next week, and he worked talking about it again. And I said, you know what this guy is? He goes, what? I go, it's a test for you. A couple weeks later, he came to me, and he said, Jones, you're right. I got to get over this. He said, it's my problem. It's my issue. And so he did. He did. He would tell you today, he doesn't even tr- care. Well, he might care. But it doesn't, doesn't bug him like it used to. And that's what he's talking about here. We just got to accept people how they are. And I want you to think about that. 
Accept your age. Accept someone. At home, you might have to accept sometimes that your kids might get a tattoo. When our daughter Katie turned 18, she went to Portland with a friend and got a tattoo. And I remember like maybe a month after the tattoo thing happened, everybody in the family knew about it but me. I don't know why that is. And I just remember that one of her friends said, hey, what do you think of Katie's tattoo? And I went, what? She goes, oh, crap. <laughs> so I go home and, and I see this tattoo and I'm going, okay, okay, Jones. Kathy's going, it's not that big a deal. It's really not that big a deal. And so luckily Kath was there. <laughs> and Katie was 18 and she paid for it herself and, and it's not that big a deal. But there, it could have been a problem. How about when you go to work? And you have people that you just are just different. Don't you have different people sometimes? And you get stuck working with people that are just sometimes, they're just different. And no one relates to them. And you as a believer, you're working with this person, and you got to basically say, God, what do you want me to do? This person is just different. I worked at a boarding school called Bridges Academy out in Sisters. And we had a night guy. His name was Glenn. And Glenn was my age, so he was in his late 50s when, when he was there, and we were the same age. He was retired from the Coast Guard, and Glenn was this guy that he had gray hair, it was long, he had this big gray beard, he had this unibrow that was all connected with eyebrows that were totally out of control, and he was our night guy, so he just walked around at night creeping, you know, and the kids at the school called him the night owl, that was his nickname. And so we had a rash of kids running away at us. And, and they would run away like the staff would change at 10 o'clock. And so all the staff would go home, two or three people. And then the night guy would be there. And the, and the students would supposedly be in bed at 9.30. And then the, that would be that hour would be when they would run away. And so we had like a couple of kids run away. So we decided we'd need two guys there for that hour till like 11. And so one of us who would work till 10 had to stay till 11. So I ended up being the guy staying. And so all of a sudden I realized I'm going to be here for an hour with the night owl. And he's a different dude. He just was. He's just different. And so I thought to myself, Jones, you got to come up with a, something in common, right? You, you just got to. So we had an hour together. And so I remember I brought up sports and he hated sports. So that didn't work. And then I brought up fishing, and I said, I'm a fly fisherman. I'm a catch and release. And he had no respect for catch and release. He thought, you let him go? What's the purpose of that? I, well, the purpose is the fun of the catch. He goes, no, the fun is eating it. And so that didn't go. We didn't do it. And so I remember like the first couple of weeks, I'm trying to figure out, Lord, give me something that we had in common. And then one day, one night, he brought up something that we had in common. And then all of a sudden, we hit it off and we became really good buds. What do you think? It, you'll never guess what it was. You'll never guess. No. He didn't like sports. No. It wasn't vegetables. What's your favorite? Okay. It wasn't that. You know what it was? H.O. Trains. I'm, in I'm into trains, and he was into trains. We both had model trains. So guess what we did? We brought a track, and we set up a train on the pool table around the felt. <laughs> and we would bring our engines and little cars, and we would play trains for an hour. <laughs> I'll never forget. One of the students one time, we had a meeting. We're all sitting here, and he goes, hey, man, you got to hang out with Glenn for an hour every night, huh? What do you guys do? I go, you really want to know? He goes, yeah. He, I go, we play trains. <laughs> he goes, are you serious? I go, no, I'm not kidding, man. We play trains. He goes, can I play? 
And so Glenn and I, we hit it off and we became friends over model trains. Who would have thought? But you know, it was just that way to connect. And I was so thankful that God gave me one thing, one thing to connect with him on. But it comes down to that. Imagine what that's like. How many people have God brought into your life? How many people does God bring into our churches? Who are people who maybe look a little different, act a little different, have a different experience, talk a different way, different color, whatever it might be. And God calls on us who are the mature. And God calls on us who are believers to say, accept people just the way they are. Accept them. Except that lady at work or that guy at work that nobody else will have anything to do with. You as a believer, I think God places on us a responsibility to be different, don't you? To be different. So how do you act your age? You accept one another. Secondly, what he says, we're going to look at greet one another. Skip down to Romans chapter 16. In chapter 16, from verses 3 through, the, through uh, verse 16, Paul does nothing but greet all these people. It's one greeting after another. In verse 3, he says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, Mary, Rufus, Julia. He just goes on and on and on. I just mentioned those guys because they're the ones that I could pronunciate their names. Because that's really hard for me sometimes. But skip down to the key verse, verse 16. Look what he says. Then he says this. Greet one another with a holy kiss. That's what he says. Greet one another with a holy kiss. You know, he said the same thing to the Corinthians. He, in, in his first letter, he said it. And in his second letter, he said it. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, the Corinthians, if you know their church, they needed a lot of kissing because they were a mess. It's the only church in the New Testament. I love it when Paul said to them, you guys would do a whole lot better if you didn't meet. <laughs> How would you like to have somebody say that about your church? <laughs> hey, you do a lot better when you don't come together. Just don't meet. So you go on the website for Antioch Church, right? And you look it up. Hey, we're not meeting this week. We just think it's better. <laughs> when we come together, it's never good. So we're just not going to meet. That was a church in Corinth. And then he said also to the church in Thessalonica, greet one another with a holy kiss. And Peter said the same thing. To those who read Peter's letter, he says, greet one another with the kiss of love. I remember when I was dating Kathy, and we were in college, and she was over at my house visiting, and my parents were, were there, and I remember we were in the kitchen, I think we were cleaning up the dishes or doing something, and, and no one was in there, and so, you know, man, it's Kathy good looking, you know, it was my girlfriend, and so we, you know, we were kissing, and my mom walked in, and you got to know my mom, man, she could give the, inkle, the evil stink eye like none other, and she just got this weird look on her face, and I thought, I wish I had this verse. Mom, it's a holy kiss. It's biblical what we're doing right here. I just want you to know that. I didn't have it. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I actually practiced a holy kiss once. Quick story. I was a pastor of a church in Everett, Washington. And in Everett, there's a huge population of uh, Russians who have moved into that area because of Boeing and all that work goes on there. And so they were going to have a wedding, and, and, they, and they rented our church. And they were so excited, this Russian congregation, to have a place to have this wedding with some people within their church. And so they invited everybody from our church to go to the wedding. And so we were there, me and Kath and the kids, and, and then a lot of people from our church were there, and we were there for this wedding. And it was going on, and I don't know, it was all in Russian, and Russian weddings last about three hours maybe four. It just goes on and on and on. And, and up in the wedding, they have, in the back, they have a row of chairs, and they have all the family sitting up there. 
And then they have, you know, the, the pastor and the bride and groom are right here. And this thing's going on. Right in the middle of the ceremony, the pastor's talking about, no, we didn't know, just going on and on. This little old man, the, the, the father of the bride, gets up, walks down, walks down the aisle about halfway where I'm sitting with, sitting with Kathy and, and our three kids, and he grabs me and brings me up and sits me up there with the family. He was just so excited that we were allowing them to use our church. He with respect toward me and the congregation, he brought me up to sit down with the family. And I sat down up there, and I'm sitting up there, and they're doing their thing and everything. And they get to the very end, and they go, you may kiss the bride, and all that goes on. And then all of a sudden, I realized, oh, I'm in big trouble. Because they have a reception line right there. And they all stand up, and as they're going through this line, I look over and I realize that the dudes are kissing each, the groom <laughs> on the lips, and the women are, are kissing the brides. And some of we don't have a big problem with that, but I'm looking at this going, dude, I'm in this line. <laughs> and I'm in front of everybody. I mean, the whole, the whole place. My, half my church and everybody's there. And I'm looking like this, and I'm going, oh, my gosh. Now, I know there's a backdoor escape out the back because it's my church. But I thought that would be so disrespectful to do that. So disrespectful. So I look at Kathy with the kids, and the kids are just like, you know. <laughs> And Kath looks at me and goes like this, like this. That's what she does. So much encouragement, right? So I couldn't believe it. So I'm starting to sweat, you know, as I get up there. So I get up there, and I'm the next person. And I'll never forget what I did. I just get up there like this, and I put my hand out. And he grabbed my hand and just pulled me right in, right? Boom, smooch. He was kind of cute. And uh, <laughs> it really wasn't all that bad. <laughs> But, you know, in the early church, they actually practiced that. And actually, they practiced it later on as well. You can find early church manuals about worship, and here's what they say. Let the deacon say to the people, let no one have any quarrel against another. Let no one come in hypocrisy. Then let the men give the men and the women the women the Lord's kiss. I don't know about you, but really what it's talking about here is just greeting people being friendly toward other people, going out of your way to do that. You know, think about it. When somebody comes to a new church, like somebody walks in for the first time into your church here in Antioch, and they walk in the door and they're at a high school. They know they're at the high school. Maybe they've been in here before, maybe they haven't. And so they're in the parking lot and they walk in. And first of all, they're going, well, that's where everybody's going. The church must be there. And so they start to walk in the door, and you have greeters and people, but they walk in. And if they don't know anybody, right, they're walking in going, okay, who's going to, like, show me around? And they're going to basically say, okay, I don't know where to put my kids. I don't know where to sign up. If they have something to drink, I don't know if I can bring it in here or not. Where are the restrooms? They don't know any of that. And, and they're kind of waiting to see, like, well, what are people going to do? Are people going to respond to me? Are people going to talk to me? And they have a great a deal of anxiety over that. Am I dressed the right way? And all it takes is a greeting. It takes a couple people to say, hey, man, glad you're here. You knew? Hey, we're also awesome. Here, let me show you. How old are your kids? Well, let me, let me take, take you to where they need to go. And, and that's all it takes is that. It's really simple. They don't want you, like, hovering over them. But they do want to know, is this the kind of place where people are just going to talk to me? I remember one time I went to a big church in Atlanta, and the preacher is on television, big name person, been around a long time, and this church is humongous, huge church. 
And I got there a little early. I was meeting some friends there. We were there for a conference. And I, and I stood in their foyer for like 45 minutes of a church of 10,000 people. And not one person talked to me. Not one person. I'm looking through all their stuff. I walk by their information table. I'm looking around at the pictures on the wall. And not one person ever came up and talked to me. And I'm kind of thinking, like, what did I do wrong? I came up with one conclusion. You know what it was? I didn't have a tie on. I was the only person there who didn't have a tie on. They probably thought, that guy's really a pagan. No tie. But I thought about that. I don't remember anything this guy said. And this guy's world-renowned preacher. I don't remember one thing he said in the sermon. I'll never forget that experience. I'm not having one person talk to me. I didn't need people to. I wasn't planning on attend there. But what if I would have been? What if I would have been? And not one person said a word to me. I would have thought, dude, I'm going to find some other place. I'm not hanging out there. So important to greet people. You know, here's what I do. If you're like me, I am this way. I am not an outgoing person. I can be, but I'm not by nature. If I walk in a room, I will gravitate toward the people I already know. And they're usually either fly fishermen or Seahawk fans. I'm shallow too, okay? <laughs> but so are my friends. <laughs> Some of them are here, so they're laughing. They know what I'm talking about. So I'll come to church on Sunday. You know, maybe I hung out with these guys like the day before. We went fishing together, but I'll come in and, we'll, and I'll, I'll just walk, I gravitate, and I'll start talking to them, and there'll be people all over the place who I don't know, who have, maybe it's their first time there, and I'm talking to the people I know that I know really well, maybe my best friends, and that's who I'm talking with. And I have to work at it, so it's not easy for me. Like my wife, Kathy, she walks in a room, she'll find the people she doesn't know and talk to them first. I hate that. No, I don't. She goes, you need to do that, you're the pastor, you know. I get that all the time. But think about that. That's the way I am. And a lot of us are that way. And really what Paul's saying is, hey, just greet people. Maybe you see somebody. And you know, here, I've been involved in churches that met in places just like this, where there's a lot of space. And when you walk in, there's people here, and there's people there, and there's people there, and there's people there, and there's new people, and people, that, and they, and people sit together in little clumps, and there's clumps all over the place. And if you walk in, and maybe you'd walk in on a Sunday and just say this, Lord, give me just, I, I see somebody all by themselves. They look new. I don't know them at all. I'm just going to walk up, sit down by them for a couple minutes, and just talk to them. That's my mission. That's my goal. That's my purpose. That's what God has me to do. Now, I guarantee you, if you have a whole bunch of people because the staff can't do it all, you have a whole bunch of people who are committed to that, to just looking around and finding people. We're not talking about sitting down and, and hey, share me your life story kind of deal. We're talking about just sitting down, hey, man, my name's Kelly, and, you know, what's going on, and who are you? We're, okay, we're glad you're here. How long have you been coming here? And they might say a month, two months, first Sunday or whatever, and you just have a chance to do that. That makes a huge difference for them. And that's one more person that you know and one person that they know. And so Paul says, hey, we need to greet one another. You know, I, I found this survey. It was a survey done by church leaders, recent survey. And they, and they put down the top, like, five things that people look for when they come to church for the first time. The top five. And the first ones, there's two that are tied. You know what they are, the first two? This is, survey says, this is Family Feud at Antioch Church. What do you think? Somebody just yell it out. Nursery. Nursery. Okay. Kids ministry. 
Is one of the, the one of the top ones? Number, the other one? Is how, yeah, it's a part of that. If it's cheap coffee, they're not coming back, I'm just telling you. Like, I grew up with church coffee that looked like tea. Remember that? Like, it's not coffee. It's how friendly is the church. And there's a balance there, right, between being too friendly, where you get like, like you're getting someone's following you the whole time, or you don't say anything. So there's that friendliness and kids' ministry are the top two. So aren't you glad Linda's not here to hear this? Because when she goes before the elders on her review, can you say, you know that my position is the most important? And, you know, Ken and Pete are gone. And you might let them know that they were actually uh, number four on the list. Three was actually worship. So Ben's above Ken and Pete. <laughs> and Linda's above them in the pecking order of what's really important to people. So I want you to know that. But think about it. Think about how important that really is. Because if your church is, wants to reach people, it needs to be a place where people felt welcome. Where they feel like, hey, people here care about me and what's going on. Number three, accept one another, greet one another, and then encourage one another. Look over in the book of Hebrews really quick. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, researchers tell us that we need three times more encouragement than we do um, criticism. You know, I don't know about you. I know people have the gift of encouragement. How many of you know those kind of people? They do. They're awesome. The people have the gift of encouragement. How many people know people have the gift of discouragement? Yeah, that's a gift too. I've seen people with that. The gift of discouragement. But think about it. He's saying here, this is so, such a great text. Look what he says. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds. You know what he's saying? Before you come to church on Sunday, have you considered that God has you there to encourage other people? In other words, have you said it in your life going, hey, why am I going to church today? Normally we go to church what? We go to church because I want to be fed. I want to worship. I want to do this. How many of you get up and say, I'm going to church today because today God's going to put somebody in my life, in my church, where I'm going to have a chance one-on-one -on -one, to encourage them. That's my goal. That's why I'm going. I'm looking forward to that. I don't know who it is, or maybe you do. Maybe you know what's going on in some people's lives in your church. And you say, I'll see them on Sunday. And when I see that person on Sunday, I'm going to make sure I go up to them. And I'm going to say, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, what can I do to help you? What can I do to encourage you? And you're going to go prepared to be involved in somebody else's life. He says, let us consider how to do that, how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Have we planned about it? Have we prayed about it? Sometimes I wonder how many people come to church feeling down and stressed and struggling and discouraged, and they leave down, stressed, struggled, and discouraged. Like I heard one person said, I came in feeling like a sinner and left knowing that I was one. What an awesome sermon that was. I just feel terrible. And notice what he says. How much should we do it? All the more as you see the day approaching. You know, what he, you know what Paul said to the church in Thessalonica? He said this in chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, 
just as in fact you are doing. That's such a great text. You know what he's saying? He's saying this. You guys do this. You encourage people. That's what you do. Keep doing it. Do it more. Try harder. He didn't tell them, hey, you're not doing this at all. You need to do it. He's saying, no, you need to encourage one another just as you're also doing. In other words, you've been doing it, but you just don't give up. Do it more. Work at it. Make it important. One of my favorite TV shows was Cheers. How many remember Cheers? Classic. So good. About a pub in Boston. We have a lot of pubs in Bend, don't we? More all the time. More than we could ever go to. I love the theme song. Remember the theme song? Here's what it said. Making your way in the world today uh, takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? And then remember what it says? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see. Our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. What should that be? That's the church. That's us. We should be the place that people want to go to. Why? Because they, they, we all have the same issues, don't we? I've had non-believing people, or I mean believers tell me, I have nothing in common with non-believers. It's so hard for me. I go, really? You have kids, they have kids. You have a mortgage payment, they have a mortgage payment. Your job frustrates you, their job frustrates you. Their kids play Little League, your, kids play, your kid plays Little League. What don't you have in common with them? You have a lot in common with them. And what he's saying is the church is the place where encouragement needs to take place. Want to act your age, just encourage somebody. You know, have a bad day at work, and when you get home, what do you need? You need encouragement. You need your spouse to say, man, how was your day? It wasn't that great. Well, tell me about it, and you talk about it. Maybe your kids are in school, and school can be brutal, and they come home, and they're discouraged, or they're frustrated, and you're there waiting for them in order to talk with them to encourage them. Maybe they're involved in Little League. I remember one time, Kip won't remember this story, but I remember it vividly. One time when he was in Little League, I'll never forget he had a game where he was just terrible. <laughs> it was. I think he struck out three times. He played shortstop and he launched, the, you know, he, he, he launched it, you know, made a couple errors. And this was not a good game for him. And at the end of the game, he, he looks at me and he goes, hey, I'm going to go home with mom. <laughs> I go, no, you're not. You're going home with me. So he gets in the car with me. He wanted to be with mom, but he gets in the car with me. And as we're driving, I look over at him. I go, what were you doing today? I mean, what was going on, man? You struck out three times. And he looked at me. And if you know Kip, you guys know him. He looked at me and he said this. Hey, dad, I gave it my best. And I stopped for a second and I thought to myself, well, man, he did strike out with purpose. <laughs> it was no half swing. He was going for it. If he would have hit it, it would have kept, it'd still be going. And when you overthrew first base, you didn't just lob it over there. You gunned it. It was a rocket. You threw it as hard as you could. And then I could just feel God saying to me, not in an audible voice, just saying what? Dad, shut up. Because he did give it his very best. And then, you know, you never want your kids to say, so, Dad, how great were you when you were playing my age? I remember I have my report cards and I hid them from my children. They have never seen them to this day. Because they could easily pull out my, you know, middle school, high school report card and say, that was your GPA? And you're on, you're on top of me? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? 
So we need to learn how to encourage people, encourage our family. So this morning, what have we looked at? How do we act our age? Really simple. We need to accept one another. Acceptance is really a hard attitude. And I love what verse 7 says. Accept one another just as Christ, what? Accepted you. How did Jesus accept us? How did he take us? Just the way we are, isn't it? How many people do you know that say, I get my life together, I'll get my act cleaned up, and then I'll come to church. I'll come to Antioch. But i got to get myself all cleaned up first before I come. You ever heard that before? That's so messed up. Because that's what they think we think. And we don't think that way, do we? We say, you come the way you are. God will take care of the other part. Isn't that right, you guys? God will take care of it. You come just the way you are. Broken, whatever you got going on, you come that way, and God will take care of it. Accept one another. Then he says what? Greet one another. Greet is an action of love. Do you guys practice the holy kiss in Antioch? I just want to know. I haven't seen it, but I just wanted to know. It's really nothing more than treating people just like what? Like Jesus treated them. Jesus was such a great example. Remember him at the woman at the well? The Samaritan woman? What was she shocked by? That a Jewish man would talk to her. Jesus didn't bother him at all. That's what it is to greet one another. That's what it is just to say, you know, I'm just going to go out of my comfort zone and make people feel welcome. And then encourage one another. To be an encourager is really, you know, what God has for you. It's just talking to people like Jesus did. Jesus had a great knack for hanging out with the people that nobody else would hang out with. And I think God calls us to that. He does. And you know what he calls us to? He calls us to the fact that he wants us to do things in our life that don't come naturally to us. He wants to challenge us. Because if we only do what comes naturally to us that we're gifted in, we're going to be pretty narrow in what we do. And we're not going to do certain things that God has for us to do because God wants to challenge us to be like him. And I tell people this over and over. I am so frustrated, but this one thing I know, that the goal of the Christian life is simply one thing, and what is it? To be like Jesus. That's the goal. To be like him. What would Jesus be like? Accept one another, greet one another, and encourage one another. Hey, in closing, I know you can't apply all of this, but I believe this. In the course of what we talked about today, God spoke to you. And God, either, God said to you, you need to accept somebody. God said to you, you need to work at greeting people. Or maybe God said to you, you need to encourage people. Be an encourager. Only pick out one of those and say, Lord, by your grace, through the power of your spirit, help me this year to do that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you today uh, for your word. You're an awesome God. There is no one like you. You're perfect in all your ways, and we are so unperfect. We pray, Lord, today for the power through your spirit to become like you, to mature in our faith, to grow in the area of acceptance, to grow in the area of greeting and being friendly and being outgoing, and to grow in the area of just being an encourager. And Lord, I pray for Antioch Church. I know they have a heart for the lost of Bend and for those in the world. And I pray that you would allow them to continue to grow and to mature in their faith and in their walk, and that they might be a place where the heart of Jesus is found, 
where people can come just the way they are. Lord, help them. We pray for them. Pray for myself. Pray for Cass. Pray for us, Lord, that we might be those people as well. And we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.